As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Hey, I am so excited to have all of you here today. And wow, we're talking about something super important for your dental practice, and that is raising capital. Capital is the lifeblood of your business, of expansion, of growth. And, and by the time we finish today, you're going to know about some of the different loan options that are available, and you're going to have some options on how to raise capital for your practice. You're going to have a real high-level overview of the different options that are out there, and you're going to feel informed the next time you're looking to raise some capital for your dental practice. And, and so excited to have Joshua Kim here today from 7A Accelerator, which, which helps dentists raise capital using the different small business association programs that are out there, and also uh, a capital advisor who can help in the M&A space. So excited to have you here, Josh. Hey, great to be here. Great to be here, Tim. So, uh, you know, let, let's talk about lending. Let's talk about loans, right? Capital is absolutely the, the lifeblood of a, a business. So how did you get started doing this? Yeah, so thanks for asking me. I, um, I've got an interesting backstory. I actually was able to purchase my first business at 19 years old with an SBA loan. And going through that process, I, I definitely learned a lot. I learned that not all banks are alike. There's a lot of challenges in finding the right lenders to, to finance SBA projects. And, um, you know, it, it was through a lot of my experience with that and then, you know, running that business, helping some other business owners that I realized that there's a big need for, um, you know, really more just the education piece of it. You know, I, I'd say, you know, knowledge is knowledge is 90 percent of the game when it comes to getting an SBA loan, just understanding the different types of loans out there, understanding what banks are looking for, understanding how to find the right lenders and you know filter through them to, you know, to get through your, you know, to get through the process. Um, so I, you know, I bought my first business at 19. I, I actually bought a total of three companies in, in a post-acute healthcare sector, uh, not in the dental world, but I, I'm very familiar with a lot of the unique challenges that come from running a business in the healthcare services space. And it was through my experience with that, you know, going through the SBA loan process multiple times, I learned a lot about it. I, I helped a couple of people on the side. And then, you know, more recently with COVID, I, you know, I sold my businesses um, and I kind of realized there was a big opportunity to help other people just understand what you can do with SBA financing and, you know, you know, build a whole, build a whole consulting business around uh, capital raising, deal structuring and helping other folks, um, you know, accomplish financially what, what they want to, then they just don't have the time to figure out or learn. Right. Okay. So, so you said you raised, you, you bought your first business when you were 19. Correct. I got a $1.2 million bank loan to go buy a business that had about 600,000 a year in cash flow. And the reason I was able to do that was because SBA loans, they don't require any specific amount of collateral. A lot of people hear all these myths and pieces of misinformation that dictate otherwise. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not true. It's, it's just not true. You don't have to have a certain amount of collateral 
um, or, or you know, real estate to, to go get a loan. Um, a lot of it just comes down to, you know, talking to the wrong lenders who don't really understand the loan program, uh, what the rules are and what you can really accomplish with it. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. And that may blow most of our listeners mind is here you are at 19 and you just got a $1.2 million loan. So, so was that surprising for you too? Yeah, I, I, it was, but it wasn't, um, you know, to some degree, because I had read up, I'd done a lot of research on the loan program. I'd done a lot of research on how to, how to structure it. I mean, so one thing I will, will def, def, definitively caveat and, and throw out there was I did have an operating partner. I had a minority and you know, I, I had a minority equity operating partner who had about 12 years of experience in the industry. So when I went to the bank and was getting the financing for it, it wasn't just, hey, you've got a 19-year-old with no industry experience in the space who's getting a loan. I had an operating partner and kind of a team behind me that knew the space pretty well. And the only thing that they lacked is they, they just understand how to raise the money, right? They weren't deal people. They, they didn't understand how to go raise capital to do stuff. They, you know, they were operators. So when I went to the bank, it was, it was the duo of us that they were approving for the loan you know, myself and the guy that had 12 to 15 years of operating experience in the industry already. Um, so I will caveat that it, it's not as easy as, hey, you know, your 19 year old can go up there and go get 2 million bucks or bucks to buy a business. There are some other pieces that went into it, but um, I tell my story to people to, to really just exemplify, like, look, if you're a dentist and you run a practice and, you know, you're having a difficult time with um, getting financing on favorable terms from an SBA lender, it's probably because you're talking to the wrong banks because I was able to get my deal done with, you know, less than 20 grand in my name at the time. Um, you know, most of the projects that dentists have are a thousand times more straightforward and credit worthy than, you know, in my situation. And so yeah. uh, that's, that's kind of why I like telling my story to, to people sometimes. They say, oh, well, you know, you can't do this, that, the other with an SBA loan. I said, well, I was able to accomplish this. And so I know what you can do with it. And, you know, most of other people's deals and their financing needs are a lot, a lot easier for the bank to sign off on than mine. <laughs> so yeah. that's, why, that's why I bring it up. Now, now you started to touch on it, right? And those are some of the myths that are associated with with raising capital, and right. Oftentimes, the the new doctor coming right out of school, they're thinking, you know what? I've got all these student loans. No one's going to lend me any money to buy a practice. And, or you know, you may see other things that that pop up too. What are some common myths that you incur that that you you know encounter day to day that people may believe about the the lending process? Yeah, I, I think I think it comes down to a couple of things. Uh, the biggest one is probably that all banks are created equal. That's the biggest myth that I have to break for people. Um, and I'll just give you guys a story. There's there's a dentist that I'm working with. Um, he's got multiple locations already, and he was telling me a story about uh, you know a couple couple months ago, he was trying to buy a building for for one of his offices. It was it wasn't a crazy purchase amount. It was about one point two million dollars for you know for a piece of real estate. There's basically no risk in it for the bank to do you know a seven A loan for a dentist to go buy a piece of property because um, in his case, the mortgage on the loan was actually going to be less than what he, um, the mortgage on the loan was actually going to be less than what he paid for it uh, cash. Um, so the, or sorry, the, the mortgage was going to be less than what he was, what the lease was. Right. So um, let me see. So that's, that's kind of the, um, that's kind of the gist of, 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 of what you can do with it. And so anyway, that, that's obviously a very credit worthy deal. His lease was going to be, you know, his lease was higher than what the mortgage was going to be. He had cash flow positive practices. And for him, his banks, the banks that he went to, these were all big banks, you know, Chase Bank of America. And like, I think one other big one, uh, the issues that they were running into were that they wanted 30% down and on an SBA loan, you do not need 30% down. And so, um, you know, I'm helping him kind of navigate the process of, of finding a better lender. But what I've, what I've seen, especially with a lot of dentists is, you know, Conventional lenders have great options available 
for you know for dentists but you know when it comes to sba it's not a great service offering and so you know while the bigger banks can help get the practice off the ground up to the first million dollars um, just because they're an SBA lender doesn't mean they're going to be created equal with with all the other banks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's kind of one of the big that's kind of one of the big things I, I break down for people is that um, you know just because your bank says they're an SBA lender or claims they're an SBA lender, it doesn't mean that they're going to be any good at it. And mm -hmm. um, I mean just to just to kind of give you a reference, if you actually pull up a list of the top uh, SBA lenders in the country, uh, Bank of America. I mean, you would think uh, a lending institution as large as they are, where do you think they would fall in the top 100 SBA lenders? Just, just rough guess. Oh, uh, the way you ask that question, I'm going to say they're not near the top. Probably <laughs> they're not. They're not. Um, of course, it's kind of a loaded question because you know where I'm going with this. But they actually are not even in the top 50. They fall somewhere between like 60 and 70. Uh, I actually pulled up the list here to give you the exact reference. So, as a bank as a whole, they only did 100 million dollars of loans last year. For a bank like Bank of America, that's nothing. I mean, they did like 226 loans last year, which is it's <clears> absolutely nothing. And so. Uh, that's the biggest myth I break for people is going to the big institutions is usually counterintuitive. The, the better lenders are going to be your regional players, uh, the local lenders that, that do have a good SBA offering, or, you know, sometimes national SBA lenders who they, they specialize in just doing those loans. And so for anyone who's not familiar with how these loans work, you don't actually go to the SBA to get the loan like you do with the EIDL, the EIDL loans. They're administrated more like PPP ones, where the banks are the ones actually giving out the loans. In the case of PPP, it was 100% government guaranteed. You know, normally with 7A loans, they're about 75% guaranteed. So for a lender to, to do a loan under the SBA 7A program, there's very minimal risk for them. They don't have a ton of downside, right? So that's kind of the um, that's kind of benefit they have. But a lot of the big banks don't understand that. So that's that's really the big the biggest myth that I would. Um, so, so kind of myth number one is the fact that not all SBA lenders and not all lenders are, are created equal. So you may have talked to a bank, you may have been turned down mm -hmm. or, or the banker says, oh, there's no way that project's going to fly. You've got to give us 30% down yeah. to buy your, your business or your the real estate you're looking to acquire. And, and really, you should keep looking because not all banks are created equal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what are some other, other myths that, that you kind of run into and, and that, that people may believe? Yes. I think the second biggest myth is that, you know, my business won't qualify for SBA financing. You know, people are not really understanding. I, I guess in the dental world, it's not as big of an issue that I've run into. But one of the big myths a lot of times that I break for people is they don't think their industry or their business is going to be eligible. Um, and if you go to the SBA's website around eligibility, you know, pretty much 99% of, of for-profit businesses in the United States are going to be eligible. I mean, unless you operate like a strip club, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lending institution like, a, you know, a hard money lender or, or some other business that it, it falls into the exemption categories, you know, your, your business will be eligible. Um, I think the other thing is it's not necessarily just about straight eligibility, but if it's a fit, a lot of people kind of have this preconceived notion that SBA financing is only for businesses that can't get financed conventionally. And so dentists, a lot of times, you know, they go get their million dollars from from Chase or Wells, you know, from Bank of America, or whatever, to get their practice up. And they're like, oh, well, I qualified for conventional financing. SBA is not for me. And so that's that's actually really not the case. In fact, um, what I've what I've generally seen with the dental industry is the best way to grow your practice, you know, to, or, or whatnot, uh, is, <clears throat> you know, go, go definitely tap that $1 million of, of conventional financing off the bat. They, they oftentimes do that. No money down. They don't have any requirements. And then once you, you know, once you're in this position, we need more capital to grow, whether it's for a new location, buying a practice, buying a building, um, you know, opening a new practice or just scaling the existing one you have, go tap SBA financing. You can tap SBA 7A for up to 
$5 million, 504, which is just the real estate piece of it. You can tap it up to $10 million. And I have plenty of banks that I work with that I connect dentists with and, and other business owners with who, you know, if, if they have a good business, they'll loan money on top of the SBA. I, I have one mm -hmm. bank in particular, they do it all the time. So you've you know, got a dentist, he's, you know, he's tapped out, he's done his $5 million for the SBA. He needs two more million dollars to go, you know, acquire more practices, but his underlying business is strong. The cash flow is strong. It services the debt very well. And they'll lend him another couple million dollars to go do what he needs to. And yeah. so these are the options that are just available and just, just really out there. Um, but again, like I said, one of the biggest, you know, like I was kind of talking to you about before we dropped in the podcast here, one of the biggest issues is banks are just too busy to educate people. They are so busy taking all the inbound phone calls most of the time from, from business owners that are already kind of being introduced to them or know about them. You know, they don't have time to go jump on podcasts like I do and, and educate folks because, you know, they they haven't figured out, they haven't figured out a, a <laughs> you know, a very, banks are also not very efficient. So that, that's the other problem that I've identified too. I've, I've got another business that's hopefully helping with that on the software side, but um, banks are not very efficient at uh, either marketing or managing, uh, you know, incoming inquiries. So that's, that's kind of what we've seen. So yeah, that's the second biggest myth. I mean, other myths are, you know, you need a ton of cash or collateral to get SB financing. That's really not the case. I mean, my, my own use case is, is a perfect example of that, you know, bar 1.2 million bucks, you know, granted my partner did own his house and have some cash, but I mean, his, his positive, his positive net worth didn't exceed $150,000 when we got that deal done. So combined less than $200,000 of net worth, bought a business for 1.5 million and borrowed, you know, $1.2 million to do it. You know, very, very straightforward use case in that. Um, you know, another, and I think the other big myths that kind of fall under SBA, they're kind of tied together, is that, you know, SBA loans require a ton of paperwork and they take a long time to, to process and close. Um, the SBA has, has really streamlined the process for banks who participate in the program. And I, I know banks that, I mean, if you've got, um, and, and there's different sub loan products they have under the SBA 7A program, but there's a lot of options uh, for, you know, if, if you need to get working capital less than $350,000, I have banks that they do what is called the SBA 7A small loan program. Those can get funded in three weeks, from application to funding three weeks. And the SBA recognized that their previous process, you know, from 10, 15 years ago, was very arduous. There was a lot of paperwork involved, and it really just discouraged a lot of people from applying in the first place, which is you know completely counterintuitive. So they passed a lot of stuff to really reduce the paperwork. And you know, now it's the average SBA loan. Uh, if, if you're not doing a building acquisition or practice acquisition, there are, you know there are more moving pieces with acquiring another business or another building um, involved that can you know drag out a closing. But you know, generally speaking, you should be able to get an approval, uh, you know, a full commitment letter and approval from a bank within about two three weeks of submitting your loan package with them. And, you know, if you're quick, you can close it in two weeks. But usually the, the, the reason that loans take a while to close, and when I say a while, I mean 45 to 60 days in total from start to finish, is more because of the borrower. They don't have, the, they don't have their insurance paperwork together. They don't have the lease together. And uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you run into this a lot with, with your financial planning business. I mean, when it comes to collecting financial docs, uh, um, you know, a lot of business owners, I, I know myself included, I've had to hire out for that. But a lot of people are just not very organized. You know, we're very creative, just, you know, and, and again, you know, dentists went, you know, a lot of dentists, they, you know, they went to school for damn near a decade to go learn their craft. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bad use of their time to be trying to play administrator and organize a bunch of documents. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, those are the other two big myths that I kind of lump together and like breaking for people. It doesn't take that long to get a loan. And um, it, it really doesn't require as much paperwork as you would need. I had a, I had a friend of mine, he, uh, I, I helped introduce him to a bank to help finance uh, a partner buy. He's buying his dad out of his surgical device company. And um, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, I was surprised the paperwork. And, and in his case, the loan amount was over 5 million. Uh, so it was, it was done through a bank. It was going to do 5 million SBA and of course, conventional. 
And he told me that the application documents, everything, it was very surprising because it was less paperwork than his mortgage. He just bought a house in, uh, in Vegas. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's less paperwork than a mortgage. And um, they didn't they didn't ask, a, you know, a, a million questions like they do on a mortgage. You know, where's this? Where's this? Every $5 deposit hit your bank account for the last three months. You know, where'd it come from? Um, they're, they're very straightforward and, and, and really streamlined the process. So those are the other big myths I, I, I like lumping together. Excellent. So, hey, you're listening to, to Dental Wealth Nation. We're talking with uh, Josh Kim. And we're, we're talking about demystifying the SBA loan process. We've talked about some of the common myths that go into getting a loan, things like, hey, I'm not going to be able to afford it. Or, you know, I've already talked to a bank and, and I got denied. So so we went through some myths on the, the first part. And, and now, Josh, I want to dive in and I want to start just, you know, real high level overview. You know, what are yep. some different ways that people can raise capital? Right? What, what are the different avenues? And then I want to dive in and really talk about the, the SBA portion that, that you're so experienced at. So what are some of the, the traditional methods or even non-traditional methods that people usually look at to raise capital? What are the options available for us out there? Yeah, I, I definitely think in the context of, of dentists, um, you know, the most traditional paths for financing. I mean, it really depends on what kind of business you have, right? I mean, if you're, if you're more of a general business owner that um, follows Tim and his content for you know, maybe you've got a dental lab or you've got some other dental related business inside of hearing, hearing about us today, but... I, I would say that for dentists, I mean, probably the most straightforward way for raising capital is just conventional financing, you know, conventional debt, um, you know, whether that's for a building, for a practice, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, conventional debt is, is probably one of the, the more common options out there. If you've got a more innovative company, you know, like a tech company or a software startup, you know, venture capital and, you know, equity crowdfunding, those are definitely ways to do it. And when you mentioned the, the conventional lending, you're talking about, right, me as a dentist, I'm, I'm going to the, the Wells Fargo, the Bank of America, mm -hmm. the, the the provides, right? These or, or my local business bank, right? You're talking about, you know, just kind of the, the traditional conventional loans then. Correct. Yeah, correct. And whether that's for a mortgage or just a working capital line, a credit line, to, just with operating capital for, for the practice, I, I'm going to talk, in, I guess, in the, in the more than the specific in the terms of a, of a dental practice, not just any business, because, I mean, there's a million ways you can, you can raise money for a business. But I think for a dental practice, they're not interested in equity crowdfunding or venture capital for, for the most part. Um, but, you know, I, I really say for, for someone who's got a dental practice, really the two main ways to do it are just going to be, you know, uh, conventional debt. Well, I say three, you know, you can always get investors. You know, if you're a newer dentist, you need some equity investors to, you know, maybe maybe you're trying to buy out the practice from the guy you work for. Right. And he's retiring. Yeah. I, I help out on those transactions. SBA is perfect for for partner buyouts or uh, you know business acquisitions. You know tra you know transitions of ownership. Um, you know, but sometimes maybe the associate dentist doesn't have all the equity. There might be a blend needed of uh, you know uh, debt to, to to for for the for the bulk of it, um, an investor for a small portion on top of the cash that they're putting in, and then you know another piece of of, of financing that's uh, you know. I know, and I guess in practice transitions, it's it's used a lot. But you know, seller financing—it's it's really the most flexible form of, of of it because no one's actually having to put up cash. It's it's easier because the guy selling the business knows the business. He's you know he's willing to underwrite it himself, really. But yeah, in in terms of in terms of uh, how how capital raising would pertain to general practices, I think you know conventional conventional and SBA debt um, with you know possibly some minority outside equity. Th that's really those are really probably the main options when it comes to uh, you know, growing a practice or, or whatnot. Okay. Now, you know, let's dive in and talk a little bit about some of the SBA programs out there. What are the the different SBA and and even give us a little background of what the heck the Small Business Administration is. What do they do, and and why should we even look at some of these things? 
Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. I think that you know the SBA. Uh, I mean, so to give you guys some context, the SBA has been around, I think, since like 1963. You know, they were formed after World War II because the government recognized uh, because of the war and the effect of the economy, a lot of business, you know, had been concentrated with all these larger companies. And so the the SBA recognized, you know, well, the government realized that there was a big need for putting programs together to incentivize, you know, the government to, you know, not, not incentivize, but to, you know, to make sure that the government was was sending, you know, business to smaller companies because smaller companies are the ones that are innovative and creating the most jobs, right? Most of the jobs in the U.S. are created by small businesses. So they formed, um, they formed a different entity. I forget what it was called, but it eventually became the SBA. And so it was in there where they put the programs together uh, where, you know, they required a certain amount of federal contracts are set aside for, for small business owners, veteran business owners, women-owned business, uh, women-owned businesses. They also set up all the uh, the government guaranteed loan products with 504 and 7A. But, you know, the reason I think most people should care about it is because, you know, like I touched on before, the way that these loans work are a significant portion of it's guaranteed by the government. So the banks are much more willing to underwrite and do these deals because most of the risk is not actually on them. And so, and obviously the, the SBA has a model to where, you know, they're not losing a bunch of money on it every year. They basically just charge a small insurance premium to every loan they make. They pool those and they use those to pay out the loans that go bad. But it's really the best option for a business owner because banks, I mean, you go to a bank and let's say you want, you know, you want a working capital loan. They're probably not going to give it to you a five and a half percent interest rate on a 10 year term, but they will through an SBA loan because there's a significant portion of it that's guaranteed by the government. Right now, because of the stimulus incentives, they're actually temporarily at 90%. So think about it. If you're a bank and you've got a dentist, he comes and he needs a million dollars to go to his business, which loan would you be able to offer more attractive terms on? The one that's 90% guaranteed by the government or the one that you're underwriting and risking 100% yourself? Yeah. And that's that's really where the SBA comes in and is, is an instrumental tool for, for capital access. And um, it's interesting. <laughs> The, the SBA is actually a profitable division of the government. Most people wouldn't know that, but the uh, yeah. the premiums they get every year off the what they call guarantee fees. They roll a three and a half to three point seven five percent guarantee fee into every uh, SBA seven A loan that they roll out. The five hundred four program is a little bit similar, but it's about two percent of, of fees that they get rolled in. But they just accumulate those fees every year and use them to pay out the ones that go down. But um, but yeah, I mean it's that's that's what the, that's what that's some backstory on the SBA, yeah. and I think they're so instrumental. Uh, I, I really think that they're one of the most important government agencies out there that people just don't think about or hear about because they're so instrumental in, in making capital available to, to small businesses across the country. Okay. All right. And then, Josh, kind of talking about what, you know, we, we touched on earlier, right? Not all lenders are created the same. And I, and there's there's such a difference in diversity of, of lenders in terms of yes. what kind of loans they'll underwrite, the businesses that they'll work with, that, act, that actually led you to start the 7A Accelerator. So so tell us a yeah. little bit about that and, and why specifically 7A Accelerator and what that does. What, what problem is that solving out there? Yeah, so uh, the 7A Accelerator is is really the, the main consulting education focused entity that I have, you know, because I identified, you know, if a dentist came to me and said, look, hey, here's, here's my business model, here's what I need to do. I could very quickly identify which bank, um, you know, would, would be a suitable lender. And, you know, it, it would only take me a couple hours of working with them, looking through the financials, understanding what's going on before I could say, look, here's the best loan option for you. I'm going to refer you to these three banks. They're going to give you proposals. We're going to take the best offer, which whatever one they want to go with. And then we'll go forward and, and finance, you know, finance the business. But 7A Accelerator, I, I kind of break down what we do into three, three distinct and three separate parts. The first part is education, right? Because education, I think the educational barrier 
like I said before, banks don't have enough time to go out there and educate borrowers very well on what, what options are out there um, and, and what you can really do with these things. You know, so th that's that's why I'm jumping on the podcast with you today. We'll, you know, we'll have some other partnerships set up. And um, so, you know, that's that's kind of a little bit about how uh, that works on the first facet. So educating the business owner about what options are available, um, you know, what incentives are available. And we can touch on that later. There's some really good incentives available right now for the government for, for new businesses. If you go get an SBA loan right now, they will actually pay you to, uh, to borrow money. Sounds kind of crazy, but... Um, that's that's one of the incentives available. So education pieces first. Um, the second, you know, the second piece of what we do is, you know, and if this is if you're listening to the podcast, we'll we'll put some information on the, on the back end for for you. But you know, if, if you need to raise some capital, you need some help navigating the whole SBA loan process. You want someone to help kind of work with you. That's kind of where the consulting component comes in. So you know, we'll have a call with you. We'll, we'll ask a couple of pre-qualifying questions. You know, what was your revenue? What are you looking to do? Um, you know, what are your goals with this? And then, you know, we'll kind of be able to tell you on the phone. They're like, look, you know, here's what's reasonable. Here's what we can help you with. And then, you know, from there, you know, we can engage with you and then uh, go set you up with pulling all the financial documents together. Maybe it's helping draft the business plan, draft the performance financials. And then, you know, the, the other and really the most important piece of what we do, obviously, is, is we connect that business owner who is prepared and is ready to go actually raise the money. We connect them with several suitable lenders who are going to give them competitive offers. All right. um, I, I want to pause there real quick mm -hmm. on that consulting piece, because I, I think you mentioned something really important that, that we maybe yeah. didn't hit on is right when applying for these loans. Right. You mentioned things like yeah. business plans or, you know, really being able to, to approach the lender in a prepared manner. Right. Because you don't necessarily right. just need a, a set of financials. Sometimes you require some other documents, too. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, usually it's just they're going to ask for the last three years of your your, your business's financials. They're going to want a, a very high level breakdown of what the capital is going for, how much of it's going to real estate, how much of it's going to, you know, a partner buyout, a practice acquisition, working capital growth, debt refinance, whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, usually a lot of people, they, they really overcomplicate the business plan. The nice thing about working with good SBA lenders is all their underwriters, they understand the small business owner. They're not looking at the financials like they would a 10K on a, you know, from, from a from a publicly traded stock, a 10K, a 10Q, you know, one of those reports that I'm sure you're very savvy at reading because that's what you you specialize in. They understand, you know, seller's discretionary earnings. They understand business owners who run certain expenses for the business to reduce their tax liability, you know, their vacations, their meals out, their personal car. They understand all these things. And so when you put a business plan together for an SBA lender, you just have to have it be authentic, like coming for you, like, look, Here's my business. Here's what I do. Here's our monthly sales. Here's the key people. Just really break it down in you know a, a very simple nuts and bolts way for them, and say, look, here's what we need the capital for. Here's how it's going to you know be implemented. And um, you know, so a lot of times that's kind of where we help people is just taking what's already in their head about the business and just spitting it out on paper in a format that the, the bank will understand. So yeah, right. And I bring that up because I think that's such a valuable thing in and of itself, because, you know, I, I'm married to a dentist. I always like to joke, dentists are really good with numbers. As long as it's from tooth one to tooth 32, one through 32, they've got those 32 numbers nailed. Anything outside of that, it gets a little fuzzy for them. And, you know, you may ask the, the doctor, well, what do you want the capital for? And their response is, oh, I just want to by a practice. And, and that's not necessarily enough for a business plan, but you working with them, you, like you said, you can help pull out what's already there and put it yeah. in a format that the SBA lender will recognize, see, and, and help them communicate yeah. clearly. And, Whereas, and we, and, and we yeah. work with, we work with business owners. We give them a nice, you know, four or five page template. It's got like 20 questions in it. Um, and 
it's got really all the questions that the bank wants answered in a business plan. So instead of drafting some free form 10 paragraph business plan narrative, it's just like, look, here's a four page PDF, just fill out all 20 of the questions, just, you know, uh, a couple sentences on, on each topic. And that's usually enough information because it's the bank doesn't need a business plan. They just need they just need to understand the business. They need to understand it and make sure it's, you know, it's a good yeah. request for them. Yeah. Right? Well, Right. Okay. So, but, but at the, at SA, you know, accelerator or 7A accelerator, right. You're, you're really once again, helping navigate this process because right. I certainly could start picking up the phone, calling a whole bunch of banks, but I don't know the right ones to talk to. And, and so yeah. it sounds like kind of the, the better use of, of time is to, is to talk to you first and say, Hey, you know, is this even feasible? What does this look like? And then turn you loose so I can keep working in my practice and doing what I'm good at. Yeah, and, and and that's that's really the value. That's the really the biggest value that I bring for people because you know I run into people. You know, maybe they're acquisition entrepreneurs, right? You know, they're they work on Wall Street right now, and you know, they want to go out and just buy a small business to run it themselves. And they're like, hey, you know, I've talked to forty banks. I have a good business that I found. The owner will sell it to me for this much. The numbers make sense. The cash flow makes sense. He just doesn't where to go. And I'm like, look, if you send me the deal, I can tell you in five minutes. I'll give you a list of ten banks that will do it because. My, you know, the main value that I'm bringing for a business owner is I know the credit boxes of all these banks. I know what banks can do what. Like, I'll tell you, like, hey, I've got a transportation business I want to buy. Okay, great. Is it a FedEx? Is it an Amazon? Because, like, some of the banks that like doing transportation businesses don't like doing FedEx, which don't like, you know. So there's all these, like, little nuances that I have very detailed notes on. And I know who does what. I mean, you know, some of the biggest SB owners that I work with, you know, they're more big on practice acquisitions versus, you know, uh, build out construction startups for, for new offices, right? So it really just, it depends on what their needs are, but you know, that's the biggest value that I, I, I say to people. I said, look, I can save you four months of, of, of running around bashing your head against a wall, talking to banks and getting no's because I understand what you're trying to do. And I'm going to get you set up with a couple of vendors that will be accommodating to that right off the bat. And that's really the biggest time saver and value that I, I bring to people is I know who's going to do what and I'm going to make sure that the dentist doesn't waste their time, you know, going to Bank of America and Chase only for them at the last minute. From the ask for thirty percent down on on, on the uh, on the building. So yeah, because yeah, I mean, I, I you know I just get on Google and I type in you know SBA lenders and and all of a sudden I am overwhelmed and I don't know where to turn or, or even where to start this process. And so you know for for a doctor who's who's looking to to raise capital or you know maybe refinance some debt, I, are, are these programs good for refinancing debt also? Yeah, so I'm actually working with um, <clears throat> I'm working with. I'm working with a practice owner right now. So he's got two locations and he's got some conventional debt um, from from bank for one of his practices. He bought the other practice. And so basically he just paid, you know, 40% down, the seller financed the rest. And the the benefit we're gonna have for that is the, you know, the terms are shorter from the conventional financing and the uh, the seller note than what we could get done through SBA 7A. So we did the math and I showed him, I said, look, you know, right now you're paying $8,500 a month on this seller note, right? Uh, because it's on a very short, you know, I think it was like three or four year, three or four year schedule. We can refinance this into an SBA loan, which is going to be 10 years and your monthly payment is going to be below 4,000. So that's saving him, you know, from an interest rate perspective, it's basically a wash. I think the, you know, the interest rate is going to be about the same, but it's really more about the cash flow, right? He has now $4,500 a month more to keep in his pocket because he restructured and that's just off one thing. I mean, the, 
I don't have the numbers in front of me out right now, but you know, the money that he's going to be able to save on interest and turn, you know, a longer term on the, on the working capital for his other, you know, for his other location is, 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 you know, a couple thousand dollars a month as well. So, you know, all said and done, it's like, look, you, you lump this all together and you finance it out. And whether you have, you know, equipment financing that's on higher interest rate terms, shorter term credit cards, working capital, I mean, you name it, SB is great for refinancing stuff because they're going to put it into it. You know, a 7A loan is, it's a 10 year term and the maximum, maximum interest rates like 6%. So okay. Fantastic. it's, it's, it's going to be better than any conventional financing you'll, 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 you'll look at or get. So, so what's the best way for a doctor to get started and, and have a conversation and see if this is even a fit? How, how can we get in touch with you, Josh? Um, yeah, you can, um, you can definitely reach out to me. I, I'm sure Tim will, will put a, we'll put a link in the description here below. We'll put, we'll put it here after the podcast, but you know, my website is seven, a or seven accelerator.com. Our company name is seven, a accelerator, but we, we one a in the URL to, uh, to simplify things. But yeah, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on there. Seven a accelerator is one of my kind of three businesses that I have right now kind of tied to all this SBA stuff. I've got a, I've got another uh, software business that we're, we're putting together that really streamlines the application process that hopefully, you know, you'll be able to benefit from if, if you're, you know, if you come to us and need help. Um, but yeah, seven accelerator is the, is the best way to reach me. Uh, we'll, we'll put it, we'll definitely put a link below in the description. Um, and, uh, you know, Tim and I have been talking about, you know, I'll, I'll probably be coming back on and help, helping, uh, helping the community here kind of on a more regular basis. So, you know, maybe I might be doing a webinar next month for you guys. If you got any other questions, you can definitely ask me there. But um, yeah, 7accelerator.com is, is our website. If you want to reach out to me directly by email, it's just josh at 7accelerator. Um, and, you know, whether you want to book a call, just want to reach out to me directly, ask some questions. You know, maybe you're in the middle of the capital raise right now. Uh, you know, last podcast I went on, we, you know, we got an, we, we got an attorney. He's like, Hey, I'm actually under contract to go buy a building. It's going to be done in three months. And I haven't had time to go find a bank. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a problem because you, <laughs> you put up 10% already to, to buy it and uh, you don't have the rest figured out. So, uh, you know, we're helping him right now, but you know, wherever you are in the capital raising process, whether it's something you're looking at in the next two months, three months, six months, um, you know, if you just want to ask questions about what you can do and you know what you can't do, feel free to you know, reach out. I'm more than happy to to answer whatever questions you can and, uh, you know, hopefully be of assistance when it comes to actually raising that money when you need to. So, Excellent. Well, well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I think one of my big takeaways today in, in speaking with you is just, is just that, you know, idea that not all banks are the same, that, you know, when you're looking to raise capital, it makes sense to look at your options, know what's out there. If you've been told no, keep going, because there's probably a way to get these things done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, you would be surprised at what, lenders can get done with SBA financing. I mean, I have banks. I mean, when I told, when I told the, the other dentist that I'm working with that I had four banks off the top of my head who would have 100% financed the building for him with $0 out of pocket, he was shocked. He's like, wow, really? And I'm like, yeah, there are banks, you know, for dentists, they will take an SBA 7A loan. Um, not a lot of banks do it, yeah, but I know which ones will do it. You know, for the right situations, if it's like a, if it's a rent replacement deal, they'll 100% finance the building. So I'm like, look, you would have been able to take advantage of the the guarantee fee waiver, and I, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I guess we'll touch on it as we finish up here. If you get an SBA loan right now, between now and October 1st, if you get one before October 1st, you're going to be able to save a ton of money. The government normally includes the guarantee fee in these loans, but because of COVID and some of the stimulus efforts that they put in place, they're actually waiving that. So that's three and a half to almost 4% off the top. You can immediately save by getting your loan now before October 1st. And uh, they're also going to pay the first three to six months of loan for you. So on a conventional 10-year term loan, roughly... You know, roughly speaking, if you get a five hundred thousand dollar loan, the incentives are worth fifty grand. Ten percent of loan value—it's a lot. So, so um, but you know, 
just some just something to think about but but yeah that's uh that's a little bit about you know what's what's available right now so okay very exciting well any closing thoughts for us before we sign off here josh um not not really i mean if you guys have any questions for sba stuff at all just feel free to reach out and you know how to reach me you got our website we'll put a link in the description below but hopefully i'll be I'll be uh, I'll be seen on a on a web panel sometime more more frequently with Tim here. Uh, we, we've been talking. There's a lot of overlap, a lot of need for this. But uh, you know, regardless of if you've got a small practice, you got one location, we got five locations, you got six locations, and you know you want to explore what options are available for raising capital. Feel free to reach out. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people would be surprised at what you can really get done with this. Uh, you know, with these types of programs with the right lenders. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, hey, I certainly know that I have a, a much better understanding of some of the different loan options that are out there, how to raise capital. I certainly feel more informed. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for our audience, for you listening. And uh, the next time you need capital, hopefully it's just a little bit easier on you. And uh, you're so glad you tuned in. Don't just listen to these things. Get out there and take action. And if you do that, you're going to be able to build that amazing life of significance for your dental practice, for the people you love, causes you care about, and keep changing the world for the better. Josh, thank you for being such an amazing guest and sharing yeah. and educating so generously. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. Okay, well, good uh, good talking with you. Good to be with you, and we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. All right, we'll see you all again on Dental Wealth Nation. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com. 